This is VLX number 137. We are in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46. The Lord said to my Lord. VLX stands for Video Lexia Divina, the Patristic Bible Study, and Ignatian Prayer Series on Video. God grant you his peace. In nomine Pachi Sifiti, et Spiritu Santi. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Pachi Sifiti, et Spiritu Santi. Amen. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, if you're listening to this in real time, that happened to be yesterday's gospel in the traditional Latin mass calendar. Pretty rare that that happens, but that's just where it fell for the week. Keep in mind as we go through today's video podcast that our Lord just quoted Psalm number 109 in the old numbering. That is Psalm number 110 in the new, if you want to go back in the Old Testament and look. So again, today we're in Matthew chapter 22. Let's look at verses 41 and 42 together again. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Keep in mind, as we mentioned before, it's within a week of his crucifixion. When Jesus says, What do you think about the Christ? He knows they either don't think it's him or are unwilling to admit it's him. Jesus' question is in general about the Messiah. Which lineage, which bloodline is the Messiah, the Christ, going to come from? And they rightly answer the son of David. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointing of God is going to come from the line of David. So Jesus is asking the bloodline of the Christ. And in a rather unusual manner, Father Lapide, he usually doesn't do this, but he gives the answer the Pharisees should have given if they had been paying attention the last few years. Father Lapide writes, They ought to have said, that Christ as God will be the Son of God according to Psalm 2, you are my Son, and this day you have begotten me. So notice right there, Father Lapide believes the Pharisees should have recognized not just the goodness of Christ, not just the goodness of him as a prophet, but even his divinity by this point. Father Lapide continues, Jesus taught them that the Messiah or the Christ was not a mere man as they supposed, but the God-man, subsisting in the person of the divine word. They, the Pharisees, must not wonder, therefore, that he asserted himself to be the Son of God. Let's look now at verses 43 to 44. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Greek there is epinkurios to kuriomu. Kurios, we're going to see in a minute, can mean one of two things, master, or Lord, as in God. We're going to see it actually means both of those. And so kurios is the nominative declension of that word. But then the dative, it's something that receives someone as an indirect object, is kurio. So the word kurios to kurio means the Lord said to my Lord, or rather kurios to kurio mu, mu makes it my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, be seated. That's kathu. 
there in Greek. Now, another interesting word in Greek there is enpunimati. And that is where our Lord is pointing out that David spoke enpunimati. You might be able to hear the root word of the English word for lungs or many issues dealing with lungs right there. And the Greek there in verse 43, enpunimati, is translated in the spirit. Okay, why is that important? Well, Jesus is showing that David is not speaking for himself, but prophesying through time that his great, 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 great grandson, I can't remember how many greats, would be his own Lord. And keep in mind, this wasn't just David's guess. This was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Psalms, hence that word, and punimati in the spirit. Again, pneumonati, pneumati is the root word of all of our English cognates about the lungs, like pneumothorax. Okay, but it's weird that the father in this human family, human family of David, David's line that is, is calling his own son, his own descendant rather, his Lord. Now, Father Lapide writes not about the Trinity, but of the relationship between David and Jesus. And he writes, keeping in mind that they're in the same bloodline of David and Jesus, Father Lapide writes, for the son is less and younger than his father. In other words, in normal families, right? The son is less than his father. Father Lapide continues, hence the father is not inclined to call the son his Lord, but rather the son his father, as is common with Italians and other nations. So, you know, in a family, you might call your dad my Lord, but not in the capital L sense, in the sense of like, you know, the master of the house or something like that. But even through regular bloodlines in ancient cultures, you would never have this, the, the father call the son, or in this case, the grandfather call the great, 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 great grandson, his own master. That's just very, very weird. Now, in a minute, of course, we're going to see our Lord is referring to Christ divinity, but it can also mean sir or master. So what Father Lapide is saying is it would be very, very weird for a son or grandson to be called master by his grandfather. And that's exactly right. That would only be the case, of course, if the descendant were infinitely greater than the ancestor, as we're about to see. But before we get there, keep in mind that in most ancient Near East cultures, in fact, in most cultures before our own, the older you were, the more respect you deserved. Of course, we're in a very backwards culture that exemplifies teenagers. You even see a lot of Catholic celebrity podcasters trying to talk like teenagers. And then I'm shocked how many adults actually listen to them. But anyway, here Christ is saying that David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because it was scripture, saw through time into the future that one of his descendants would be his own Lord, not just his master, but even his God. So, kuriomu, that means my Lord. Does it really mean God, or does it just mean master? Now, many Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons say that word kurios in the nominative, kurio in the dative, kurios just means master, but they have found first century Christian writings that show that the early Christians knew and asserted that kurios meant not only Lord or Master or Teacher, but also could mean God himself. And of course, we're going to see that the fathers saw Jesus was specifically saying that the descendant of David, again, this great, 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 great grandson of his, would not just be Lord of David, but even the God of David. That's the key to what is happening today, and it's very spectacular. It means that today's words from Matthew 22 are almost as stunning as when in John chapter 8, verses 58, Jesus says to his enemies, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. All of you know that word I am refers specifically to God. Why is that amazing? Because in both chapters, 
Matthew 22 today and John 8, which maybe we'll get to in five or 10 years, Christ is claiming to be pre-existent as only Yahweh, Adonai, is. So Jesus is saying here that even before he dies, or rather especially before he dies, he predates both King David and the patriarch Abraham, who were obviously born centuries before him. Yes, today Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Psalms, not just a prophet of the Psalms, but the God who inspired the Psalms. And then we hear in that psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Of course, keep in mind that being seated is a sign of royalty and divinity. So King David would have a descendant seated much higher than him. Where is that? Well, we hear it in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. One God, three persons, being seated on the throne of the angels. That's one aspect of this. And then Father Lapide says about Psalm 109 in the Dewey Reims Bible or Psalm 110 in the ESV that, quote, Christ clearly proves that the Messiah, which he was himself, was not a mere man, as the Pharisees believed, but he is God, and hence David's Lord. The meaning, therefore, is as if David said, The Lord God said to my Lord, namely Christ, sit on my right hand. In that after the cross, death, and resurrection of Christ, he will raise him up, that is, Christ will raise David up, and exalt him above all powers and principalities, and will set him next to himself in heaven, that he may reign with the most perfect happiness, authority, glory, and empire over all created things, end quote. So this is amazing. Jesus is, Jesus is already predicting Holy Saturday when he will take his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, David, from the limbo of the fathers into the paradise of heaven, that is the beatific vision. This is really powerful and beautiful stuff here. Keep in mind, I did a recent podcast on the limbo of the fathers. That's RCT number 25. And then today, verse 45, If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Okay, so if David called his great-great-great-grandson Lord God, then why is he his great-great-great-great-grandson? Well, no one could answer this because everybody knows David is calling someone in his lineage God himself. And that would mean that at some point, God would have to become man, as we as Catholics know happened in the Incarnation. So keep in mind, first of all, how unified and beautiful our faith is. But this has to be really scary for the Pharisees because what Christ is clearly implying is that he's the Messiah, but that also he's God because King David saw through time and called him God. In other words, if David saw through time that one of his great-great-grandsons would be his Lord and God, and everyone around Jesus knew he was of the line of David, then this is either a very dangerous notion or a very true claim. Actually, both, in fact, very dangerous to the people who will not accept Christ as Messiah and God. But glory and honor and eternal beatitude to all those who do recognize Christ as God and Messiah. And that's why no one is able to answer him. So just imagine the silence in the air around Jesus as they realize his claim that he just said he's not just the son of David, but the eternal one who generated David. This silence, it had to be met with so much grace in some hearts and so much jealousy in other hearts. And again, think about what I just said, that Christ's claim, that is, that he just said he's not just the son of David, but the eternal one generating David. 
This is a description of the hypostatic union that in today's verse in Matthew 22, we have both the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ in one single sentence in the Bible that spans Old Testament and New Testament, Psalm 109 and the quote in Matthew 22, that he is both of the line of David and he is the Lord of David, the God of David. And you can see why this is ramping up the plot to take his life. But how beautiful is the Christology of everything he's revealing in this last week of his life before the resurrection. Father Lapide writes, For this 109th Psalm celebrates the most glorious and extensive kingdom of Christ, both in heaven and earth, that kingdom in which Christ, after his resurrection and ascension, began from Zion and Jerusalem to reign over all nations and by his apostles to subject them to the rule of his faith and worship until he put down all his enemies, that is, all the wicked and impenitent under his feet and trample them in the day of judgment. Okay, and then just a quick note of apologetics, that's defense of the faith when you're talking to Protestants. Now, it sounds like a change of topic, but it's not. I want to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, which reads, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Protestants, sometimes they call themselves evangelicals, they will say that the word until there in Matthew 1.24, again, Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son, they would say that that marked the end of the period of Joseph's celibacy. But here's where they're wrong. Sometimes in Greek, the word until means up to and including and beyond that time. How do we know that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one reason we know is from today's section. It's used in the psalm we just heard Christ quoting about himself. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So just ask any Protestant or evangelical as they look at Matthew 22 or Psalm 110 in their Bible, what does that mean to you? What does that mean that Christ's reign ends until the general judgment and not beyond that? Of course not. Any evangelical would say Christ's reign goes up to and including the general judgment, even though at that point he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Of course, Christ's reign goes forever. Any good Protestant will admit that. So notice that until can mean up to and beyond that time. Therefore, if we look at Matthew chapter 1, you probably see where this is going, but listen closely. That means that for Mary's virginity in Matthew 1, when we heard that he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, Mary's virginity goes up to and including and beyond that period of the birth of Jesus. This is why we can assert that Mary is virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus all the way into her beatitude forever in heaven, in her body, which was assumed body and soul into heaven. So just ask a Protestant, if this confused you, all you have to do is remember this. Just ask a Protestant when Christ's rule will end, and any good evangelical will obviously say never. Well, therefore, it's obvious in Greek that the word heos, or until, can mean up to and including and beyond that very period put in the parameters. Just like Mary's virginity, it's up to that point of the birth of Jesus and during the birth of Jesus and far beyond and into forever is her virginity, just as Christ's reign over his enemies goes forever. Thanks to all my benefactors, spiritual and material. My only income comes from you, my listeners, and you keep this free for everyone who cannot donate. I remember both groups at my masses. 
Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis. Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti descendat super vos et maniat semper. Amen.